Welcome to Just Go Grind, a show that focuses on helping you launch and grow a business and navigate the ups and downs of entrepreneurship. I'm your host, Justin Gordon, and in this episode, we have Atan Bensuzan, co-founder and CEO of North One, business banking built for America. They're trusted by over 190,000 businesses across America, and they make the hardest parts of running your business much, much easier. In this episode, we go through Aten's story and how he created this company, the first things he did to start North One, and what he learned from about 100 customer interviews in the early days, how he decided on which potential customers to talk to, which is an important part of this growth process for his company, the hoops you have to jump through in starting a business bank, and some of the unscalable things he did in the early days to get exposure for North One, how they raised their Series A and his approach to fundraising, the impact COVID had on North One and how they adapted to that, his favorite book, and much more. As always, these show notes are justgogrind.com slash podcast, and you can support the show by leaving a rating and review over in Apple Podcasts. This episode is brought to you by Hawk Media, a full-service outsourced CMO based in Santa Monica, California, providing guidance, planning, and execution to grow brands of all sizes, industries, and business models. Hawk Media is recognized by Inc. as one of the fastest-growing marketing consultancies, and their collaborative process, a la carte offering, and month-to-month fee structure give clients the flexibility they need to boost digital revenues and marketing ROI. Hawk Media, the company, has serviced over 1,500 brands of all sizes, ranging from startups like Tomorrow Melon, SIO Beauty, and Bottle Keeper, to household names like Red Bull, Verizon Wireless, and Alibaba. And also, I had the founder and CEO of Hawk Media, Eric Huberman, on the podcast in episode number 23, if you want to take a listen. And to get a free consultation, head on over to hawkmedia.com, and be sure to mention Just Go Grind. Without further ado... Here is Aitan Ben-Suzanne, co-founder and CEO of North One. Aitan, welcome to the show. Thanks, Justin. Nice to be here. Yes, appreciate you taking the time to come on. And uh, for people who aren't familiar, can you give us a little bit of an overview of what North One is? What are you guys doing? Yeah. Um, you know, North One is a small business-focused challenger bank, it's called, that serves small businesses across America. And what we are uh, at, at the very core is a fully operational bank account and banking platform um, that small businesses can access and do essentially anything they would with a normal bank, but from their phone or their desktop anywhere in America. The, the place where it gets really magical for us is that um, we don't stop there. That's actually our starting point. We actually take that relationship and we start building in um, the finance department for many small businesses, helping them you know, close the month, helping them um, you know, better manage um, lots of the transaction data that they use. We don't go and replace accountants or anything. We actually help them do their job faster and quicker. With that as well, understanding this, I mean, it, it seems so clear now. It's like this digital banking and, and how everything goes with that in terms of small businesses really needing that, obviously. But take me through when you got started. Why did you decide to start this in the first place? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's so connected just to the arc of my life. You know, I grew up in a family of small business owners. Um, you know, much of the the great life that I had as a kid was due to, you know, both sides of the family having built something out of nothing through small business. And so it was always clear to me that this was such an incredible lever, um, you know, looking back on things like reducing income inequality, access to finance, social mobility, et cetera. But as a kid, this 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 life had one important cost to it, which was Small business owners usually were people who had a craft or a trade that they had commercialized, 
And then um, instead of spending more time on doing the thing that they were really good at, um, they actually became extremely focused and almost paralyzed often by the financial management of the company, something that they pretty much had never been trained for. Um, and that problem, this idea of you know the, the owner being mired in back office work rather than you know selling or building or whatever it is that they do really well, uh, it carries through today. And um, you know, I, I got to spend you know some incredible time you know uh, in the last decade really looking at what was happening in Europe. Um, you know, I was working for a company called McKinsey, which which allowed me to kind of really suss out what was this this crazy thing called fintech that was coming out of Europe. What could we learn about the North American market? And my jaw just dropped when I got there. I saw people just redefining the purpose of banking, the purpose of financial services, delivering it in new ways. And then all of a sudden, I had this moment where I started saying, well, what if what if the bank, when it came to small businesses, actually thought about what all this information was going to be used for? What if they actually realized every small business is closing their books? Every small business is writing like the 10 same reports. Um, <laughs> instead of just, you know, dumping ledger data on the business saying, you know, good luck, see you next time. What if you actually got it 80% of the way there and allowed that small business and their bookkeeper, their accountant, if they have one, to just finish the last mile. But what you'll have done is you'll just reduce the risk of, of error, reduce the cost and the anxiety that lives with these business owners. And that's where this this idea for North One came. And I became so obsessed with it like literally obsessed with this idea i ended up quitting my job and so like i have to go i have to go figure this thing out i didn't know what it looked <laughs> like but i knew that this problem was something that i, I wanted to to dive into head first with that too like on that exact point of quitting your job to do this some people work on things on the side some people go all in much sooner for you take me through that decision process in deciding to take yeah. the leap you know yeah, I, I'm not, you know, I, there's so many ways you get into this. I am not a side gig kind of person. I, I either give like 190% or I don't give. <laughs> I can't really, I've never really figured out how to dial it down. Um, and so for me, it also, it almost was like the, I couldn't think of anything else. It was just so obvious. I kept on thinking of my childhood. I kept on thinking of, um, you know, my friends who were building businesses and saying like, this is the problem of my generation. You know, we're, I, I was seeing, you know, we're, we're getting poorer and poorer compared to, you know, so many generations before us, which have become um, wealthier. And I said, like, this is because it is so hard for small businesses to be successful. Like, I have to, I have to devote some, you know, everything to this. And I started realizing that my current job was only going to let me be a bystander, maybe an advisor to this. And I'd always be wanting or, or regretting that I'm, I'm not actually getting in the game. Like, you know, you're sitting on the whole time on the bench and not actually get, you know, getting the ball and, <laughs> and driving down the court. Yeah. And I just said, you know, like I, I can't, I couldn't stomach not having at least tried, right. Like at least Rudy in, in the movie gets at the last minute to go and like play a little, I was like, you know, shame on me if, if I'm so passionate about this and all it was, was a bunch of hype in my mind. I was fortunate that my life circumstances allowed me to do this. You know, I, I, at the moment, at that point, I didn't have a family yet, you know, still single when I was, or, or you know, getting ready to, to move to the next step of life. But I had this moment where I said, like, this is the time I can go jump in right now. Maybe that window closes in a few years. So, you know, I'm going to grab it. Yeah, I love that. I think it's that it goes back to the idea of just like self-awareness and understanding what it is you want and how you operate best as an entrepreneur to know to even take that leap and then kind of the position you're in in life as well allows you to do that to the point though when you did do that when you actually 
and took the leap and you jumped in. What were some of those first things you were doing to figure this out and make this into an actual company? So before I even had a name for the company, um, I had probably introduced upwards of 100 small business owners across North America. Because my, to me, the, the, the single most important thing I had to reconnect to was that world, right? I had this DNA of, of growing up in a small business, but that was like decades ago. And I needed <laughs> to understand how the world had changed. Um, and so I just interviewed reams of business owners and the raw reaction I got from them was, was the, the energy to get me to the next level. I mean, you'd have business owners, you know, 40, 50, 60 years old, break down into tears when I would ask them about what does it feel like to go through end of the month or, you know, tax time because of the anxiety they had, that they might get something wrong and they can't afford an accountant. And, you know, you get it wrong once you kind of get it wrong forever. You know, the business shuts down and that's generational wealth that disappears. Um, and so it was only after, you know, close to 100 of these interviews that I started taking a step back and saying, so so what is the actual solution to this? And, you know, I, I was not anchored on better banking at that point. I thought there was many ways that you can solve it. But when I was, you know, taking an objective step away from it, I said, you know, the problem with all these people is that they have lots of tools. They're not talking to each other. Um, they're all focused in the same area, which is, you know, the back office of their business and their banking relationship causes them a massive amount of pain. We, we got to build a better bank for these folks. Yeah. And, and I was actually like upset with that conclusion. I was like, no, this is like, this is crazy. <laughs> like, that's not where this should lead me. Like there's gotta be a more, you know, uh, an easier to digest solution. And no matter how I try to like weasel my way out of, of that particular, um, conclusion, it kept on coming back. I said like, this is it. There, there's gotta be a bank built for small businesses, not one that kind of accidentally serves them because they have to, you know, they're, they're going to serve everybody in their community. One that is 24 hours a day thinking about the needs of this particular small business community um, and is designed deliberately for their needs. And um, when that was just so obvious to me, I said, okay, like, I'm not going to shake it. Like, this is it. We're going to do this. And <laughs> and then it was a whole other set of, of questions I had, but that gave me that that ability to have confidence in the objective that I had set out. And on that, I just want to dive a little bit deeper on that because I think this is an important part of obviously launching any business is that customer discovery process. What were some of those questions you were asking and how did you decide on who you were, what small businesses you were going to talk to? Yeah, that's, a, that's actually, a, a re, that was a really important moment for me. So I didn't want to have, all of the same people talking to me, right? First, I, I needed to make sure that I was talking to different industries, to different, um, you know, geographies. But then I also need to think about, um, you know, male and female, you know, different, different racial backgrounds, like it was important to understand across life experiences, how this problem plays out. Um, if only to say, look, I guess it only plays for half or a quarter of them. But at least in, in this, in my case, I actually realized like this is universal. This is like a very, very widespread issue. Um, and, and the questions I would, I would ask them, I actually, they didn't know why I was talking to them, which was the <laughs> irony of it. I didn't want to cherry pick, um, what the answer should be. You know, if you tell them, I'm trying to think of a better banking service, they're going to, even without wanting to, they will implicitly make connections in the background. Say, okay, how do I connect this to banking for this guy? Like, that's what he's trying to figure out here. So I'd actually go in and ask them, what are the top three problems that keep you up at night when it comes to your business? And if they wouldn't say something related to financial management, banking, money, I just end the interview right there. I just say, like, cool, super helpful, you know, probably not where I need to go with this. And, and that was based on this idea that if this is not like 
something that is top of mind, it is probably someone who will not feel the pain that I am trying to solve for. And more importantly, without, despite their best intentions, they might get academic about it, thinking, if I had this problem, what would it look like? And that's actually bad data. That would actually send me the wrong way. Um, so it was really about taking as many steps as I could to filter out the wrong people from talking to me. Um, and then when I found the right people, just asking why hundreds of times, thinking of things from different angles. And some people, I even went to their office. And I spent the day with them. Um, I went to Boston. I went to New York. I went I went to, to D.C. And I just spent the day watching. How do you do things? What are you doing? And it just opened my eyes um, immensely on, on what was happening in behind the scenes of their business. From that too then going from talking to all these different business owners and, and understanding that you had more of an idea of the problems they had then and taking those insights at times it can be overwhelming i imagine with getting conflicting data in some respects of where, where to start how did you decide to prioritize what the initial version of this of this was going to be like what do you build first so there, i think there were really three um sources of insight that were driving me i think the first one was and the most important one was what were customers like what were possible like potential customers telling me and i would you know to your point not everybody knows what they don't have right they're try, <laughs> like they they're kind of feeling around the problem they don't really know how to solve it and that's okay but i i was anchored on the problem sets not the solutions to me that i led with well what is the problems that they're talking to me about and then the solutions came from um just my obsessive research into everything that was going on around the world, my own understanding, talking to everybody who would talk to me until they kicked me out of their office to be like, <laughs> what is what is possible in this space? Like what is feasible and what is a dream that will not happen for the next, you know, 10 years? Um and and it was triangulating between what I was seeing emerge in other countries, like in Europe or in East Asia, saying, okay, like this is clearly doable. I see people already using, you know, that particular approach. And then saying, but what is what is the, the truly American version of this? Um, what is the one that will you know really resonate with American small businesses? And that honestly was every step of the way pulling more customers in along the journey. Um, you know, at the company today, we actually have something called the Voice of Customer Team, where every day of the week we are talking to one of our customers and a non-customer, and continually testing hypotheses that are quite important to our product roadmap. And it's it's that, and then every now and then you kind of call an audible and you're like, you know what? I, even if everybody's telling us otherwise, I really have a strong gut that we're just going to make this bet and see how <laughs> it goes. And every now and then you pull one of those and, and you do get it wrong, you get it right. But when you get it right, it is really, really powerful. Um, but you just, you know, you, you try not, you try to have the humility to not do that too often. Yeah. And, and from that too, then understanding to create a business, a lot of times it's going to be capital, whether it be your own capital initially, whether it be raising funding initially, take me through how the funding side of it went early on. I'm, I'm curious as to how you went about that. Yeah. Um, look, I mean, I, I started this really on my couch. Like there was no, <laughs> there was nothing around it. Um, and it was really me coming to a point where I had, I had sufficient, um, detail and understanding and conviction that I said, you know, this is worth me now row testing with others. And, you know, to be honest, all the best planning in the world would not have gotten me where I am today. Luck had such an important role to play there. You know, I met our very first investors. It was just the universe brought us together. You know, <laughs> they had, they were building out their own, you know, VC focused on, you know, fintech. 
And I come along their way and I'm thinking about this idea. And it was really like this just perfect situation where he said, look, I said, we'll give you an off, we'll give you our office. You can work out of there. Um, you know, you can access our Rolodex, talk to anybody you need. And, and what we would ask is that when you come up with this idea, like pitch it to us first, let's see if we, you know, we'd want to invest. And I did, and, and they did, and we were off to the races. Um, I will say that that was an almost false sense of security because <laughs> it was the next round. Um, the one where I then had, you know, I had this capital, we had a, a like a, an emerging team, right? We're talking like four and a half people. <laughs> one of them was part-time. Um, and we had to, you know, we had to convince the next band of investors that we had done enough work that there was, you know, the next, um, the next amount of capital we would take as a company would allow us to launch. And, you know, I'll be honest, that was one of the worst experiences of my life. Yeah. It was so difficult. Um, I went, you know, over a year without salary. I paid, you know, we were running out of money. I paid all the company's expenses off credit cards. Um, you know, I had a daughter on the way, <laughs> you know, rent. I was, I was always worried about not being able to pay the rent. Um, and, and to be honest, like I'd walk to work and I'd have tears streaming down my face because I just didn't know how to let it go. Like I just, you couldn't, you couldn't take this terrible feeling out of you and, you know, get to the office and, and you go and pitch investors and say, you know, here's why you got to believe in me. And, and I'll tell you like the mental toll it took to come into an office and put your game face on, but not just your game face, right? Just you have to inspire people that their hard earned capital will be well-placed with you. And if you're not feeling like a winner, when you do that, they will sense it. Yeah. Um, so it was really just coming back, clearing your mind and coming back to the first principles about why you believe this has to happen. Kind of getting that eye of the tiger feeling in you and just jumping. And, and running at this opportunity. And I'll tell you, like when you get rejected four times and, and the fifth time of the day is the last one you have, you have to bring the same energy you did with that first call. <laughs> so <laughs> it was, it was really difficult. Um, I'm not going to lie, but I think we were really lucky. Once again, we met an incredible gentleman who had um, sold, um, you know, been part of a number of companies that had been quite successful. And he met me and said, you know, I don't actually know much about fintech, but I know about people and I will invest in you and your team as people. Cause I think you guys have what it takes to do what you're, what you'd say you're going to do. And, and just that one person who took, you know, a little bit of risk and, and just believed in, in me, uh, enough. Um, we turned that into a two and a half million dollar raise and gave us this moment of oxygen that we could actually show the world what we were capable of. Um, and then it was, you know, moving through other gates, but that was the one where, I mean, we were down to the wire. Like there was a moment when we had less than $10,000 in our bank account and, and payroll was coming up. Like we were at that point. Um, that was definitely not my, I wish I could have planned that. Uh, that was <laughs> very much, you know, a lot of circumstances just going the right way for us. In that, in those moments, I mean, what kept you going? What, you know, was it just like, there's no way we're going to stop yet? I, I'm just curious because there's, there's a lot of people that will inevitably do the same and not get funding and not know when that point is going to be. How, what kept you going through that? So this is not going to be the most satisfying answer. I don't know where that point was going to be because I will, I will just never let myself get there. Like I will... I will. I would rather die on the treadmill than get off. 
right? That's just like, I am wired like that. I cannot, I cannot think about when I will stop. I will just be like, I will do this until like my body fails me. And um, I think that in my case, that was like, it was what allowed us to, to continue. I think in a very different set of circumstances, that could have been pretty destructive. And I, and I know that I know that is a double-edged sword. Um, But I thought about it, you know, there were three things that drove me. I think first, I just, you know, the very first pitch deck that this company ever had, had my grandfather on it. Um, It was a picture of him with his toolbox. He was an electrician. And and it just came back to this. Like, I just remembered my childhood. I loved my grandparents. And I remembered the enormous amount of energy they would spend on this problem. And I'm like, I I want to, to do it for them. I want to do it for the other grandparents today that will you know, not be able to necessarily hang out with their grandkids, they're going to be sitting at a, at a desk trying to make, you know, the ledger match. Yeah. Um, I think the second one was, was my, you know, my wife, uh, my daughter to be saying like, I want, I want to do this. I want to be able to, to do it for a legacy for them. Um, and believe me, that's not an easy thing because you're just inches away from it being the opposite of that. Right. It's just a destructive (laughs) thing. And I think the third one was the customers that like, like these business owners that I was meeting, I knew that they needed something like this. You, you could tell they were asking, they were, I, people who gave, give, they gave me money. They said, here's $20. If you like, I will pay for an account in advance. Can you just like, give me one of these when it launches? And so you have these like faces of conviction that, you know, depending on what part of my life that I looked at that I was just like, I can't let any of these people down. And then, you know, at that point it was just, can you hold your breath long enough <laughs> like to, to, to withhold the pain? But yeah, I think the one thing I know from, from my life in, in so many other places is that I, I don't mind pain. I mind quitting. I just, I really hate quitting more than I hate suffering. And that, that served me well here. And I'm sure that later on it will probably be, you know, something I have to avoid at some, <laughs> in some point, but I can't, I can't unwire myself. Well, that's what's fascinating about entrepreneurship, right? It's like this this edge of you, you, one way or the other. You could be you could be off the off the cliff, or you you could be you know soaring high in some in many respects. It's like it's so difficult to know when that moment is going to be in terms of quitting, in terms of keep continuing on. And you've seen it where other entrepreneurs that may be destructive in some ways. I actually this like in a different way it makes me think of like Travis Kalanick at Uber. Like Uber couldn't have existed i don't think without a person like travis kalnick at the same time obviously the destruction in many ways of what he did as well is like the other side of the coin for him and that's like it's such a crazy thing to see uh, amongst entrepreneurs but you do have to have some level of of that drive conviction etc to to make it happen in terms of creating a company especially in you know, industry, I read, I read, you know, do some research, like, you know, people like mocked you or like, were like, there's no way this is going to happen after going through the investment side and saying, getting so many no's from people. It's like, how else would you keep going without having some crazy conviction around your idea? Uh, which is fascinating to kind of hear people, uh, as they talk about it. And, and one of the things I'm thinking about too, is so you raise funding and you raise two and a half million dollars, which is obviously super helpful to help the business. Take me through the customer acquisition side. How are you getting people on, you know, on your platform? How are you getting people as customers for your business? Are you talking about in the early days? Yeah. So, um, <laughs> any way we could. <laughs> um, so, you know, at the thing that's unique about fintech and especially like these this challenger banking, this neo banking space is that there's so much you got to do before you can actually launch. Right, you got to find 
um, a lot of partners that behind the scenes provide many of the financial services that you can, you know, weave together and deliver to your clients. Like, you know, you, you don't start by being the bank. You start by actually building on top of many financial service providers, including um, a banking partner. Um, to get to there, I mean, you have to have built the technology. You have to have gone through diligence and compliance checks. Like there's so many hoops to go to. It's not like a, you know, a, an elegant photo app that you can build over a few months, launch it, and then see what happens. There's just so many different gates. So until then, um, we we had to find anybody that we could who would want an account, right? Yeah. To us, it was building up a, a wait list of a, or a community, we used to call it, of people who want better banking. And in the early days, honestly, that was just me going to, you know, um, the, the com- chambers of commerce of towns and cities and doing presentations there on something I could offer of value and just tell them at the beginning, like, look, if you, you know, if you're interested in, in this thing, which is, you know, a bank account that could do X, Y, and Z for your business, you know, I'd love if you would just, you know, sign up for our waitlist here. I'm going to now give you an hour long lecture on, you know, um, strategy and, and decision-making or, or e-commerce, running an e-commerce business, whatever it could be that us on our team could provide a value. And we collect, you know, our first, I think, a thousand businesses that actually agreed to sign up came out of, you know, these these little things. And, and then we had to find ways to scale them. We realized, okay, well, there's only so many hours in a week we can do these kind of <laughs> events and they take a, a huge toll on our on our ability to get work done. Where can we start doing this? So at one point, um, we started saying, well, what are other sources of value that we can provide businesses where first we can socialize our name, have them know who we are, but more importantly, philosophically, give them something of value before we ever ask for something in return. And so we, I think we incorporated 500 businesses for free as a way of saying, look, let's help you on your journey. Later down the line, we're going to be able to help you from a bank account. Let's, let's incorporate your business for you. And we did that and we got these companies into existence and many of them are our customers today. Um, the other one we did is we, we talked to our, to these you know small business owners and found that the first moment many small business owners realize that they are a business owner is when they issue their first invoice. They were like, Oh, I am now a business. Um, and we looked at the app store and realized that there wasn't a ton of invoicing apps out there that were really beautiful um, and free. You know, a lot of stuff had ads or you had to pay a lot for it. And so we we built um, a, an invoice app that was extremely simple, really beautiful, did what it had to do and made it free and said, look, here's another way we can provide value. And that thing grew like gangbusters. I mean, it's now the second or third most downloaded invoicing app in America <laughs> called Invoice Maker. Jeez. And, and that's those are two examples of, I'd say probably a few dozen of these kind of experiments we ran to say like, what'll work, you know? <laughs> and, and the only thing that the organizing principle that ties any of them together was simply saying, what is a way where we can demonstrate that we want to provide value and, and have given something before we ever ask for it in return, whether it's a product, whether it's a, a you know, one hour session on something, it doesn't really matter. We wanted to make clear that that was our philosophy and it served us well. People recognized that we had done them a solid and then sometimes even years later, you know, but months later, we'd come back and say, hey, we've launched. Would you consider trying this out? We had a very strong conversion of, of people from that wait list to account holders. That's amazing. And one thing that just to go back on, because I think it's uh, important and for people starting businesses as well, you 
you mentioned didn't take a salary for the first year or so, and you obviously took time to fundraise. In the meantime, though, how did you convince people to join your team and to really help you build this company in the early days? Because that's a that's a problem every startup is going to face early on. How did you convince people to to join your squad? So, um, everyone had their unique case, right? For <laughs> yeah. one of one of the folks, um, you know, who's on the dev- development side, I said, "Look, I'm going to get you a job somewhere else." And then when I have the money, I'm going to ask you to quit that job to come work for me. <laughs> and so I literally moved mountains, got him a job um, working in another tech company where he would have, you know, an income. We could work together on weekends, work together in evenings. And then when I was finally able to put the capital together, I said, all right, this is the moment where we're going for it. And he gave us two weeks and came to work. I mean, that was one one way I solved it. And the other one was... Um, you know, I had raised this this small bit of capital from our first investors, and I put it to everybody else's salaries. I said, like, this is how I can build this this you know emerging team. And I think the first when I got the first signals that we probably um, were going to need a lot more time to get a full round closed, um, the the small salary that I was taking just to make ends meet, I quickly stopped taking that, and that what I thought was going to be maybe three, four months turned into closer to a year. <laughs> That's wild. I, I think it's so crazy to think about how hiring in the early days, what it can be, but there, there are many stories that are kind of like that. There's like an ad hoc way. You're just trying to figure out how I can get help for this thing and, and, and grow it in the early days until you either get funding or obviously have a revenue and profit so you can pay people that way. But it, it's such a journey on the people side. It's like having that, convincing story and understanding like where you're going be able to sell that i mean that's the role of a, a founder ceo especially it's you are trying to convince people whether you're selling your business whether you're fundraising while you're selling, selling selling other people on what you're doing like that's the name of the game and and i want to go through then going from those early days obviously and kind of doing a lot of things that don't scale and i'm sure maybe some of those today too, but you've raised a, a pretty sizable series a, uh, not long ago led by battery ventures. Take me through then from that point, like at that point, when you raised that series a, where was the company at raising series a and what was kind of, uh, the idea moving forward from there? Yeah. I mean, I think a couple of important insights, you know, were gained along the way. The first one was that it was, you know, as we were going through these rounds, the painful ones, the less painful ones, I actually started realizing just how important it was to be talking to the right people when it came to investment. You know, at the beginning stages, I had no idea. Like I genuinely didn't know how to differentiate between investors. And then I I started, you know, pattern recognition emerging like, ah, this is not the right stage for this one. They don't know enough about the sector. You know, you'd have someone looking at banking and they're using all of this pattern matching from the world of e-commerce. And you're like, you know, it's never going to work because they keep on having these other um, rules of thumb that they're trying to use to assess us. So it was about getting, having a much better understanding of who are the relevant people that um, we really should be talking to. Because that would just increase the chance that we would hit more, you know, holes in ones with these conversations rather yeah. than, you know, just, just send them right into a sand trap. <laughs> um, but the other one was actually getting really smart about what do the goalposts look like at different rounds. Right? Like I really needed to get the exam sheet before I went to write the exam. And I, I don't think I had that going in. You know, I went going in saying like, can I raise around? And I hoped that what I had put together was enough to convince people 
based on, I guess, first principle logic, saying this should be enough to convince people. But clearly that was not the case <laughs> for a lot of folks. Um, later on, I became a lot more scientific about understanding what are the criteria for raising a Series A? What are the criteria for the rounds after that? How do I make sure that the people who are raising, that I'm raising the Series A from, know that I've already thought about the B and the C and the D round and that I have, I have that in mind? Because I need to give them conviction that they're going to invest in this one round, but immediately our focus starts on the next one. Yeah. And so I have to, I had to make sure that they had that sense of confidence. This person isn't just a guy raising a round. He has the view on how he'll make the next three or four happen. Um, that was actually like a really smart piece that, that, um, someone helped me understand like this is, <laughs> you know, certainly not me being brilliant. This is me talking to everybody I could to get smart about the space as quickly as possible. Um, and that to me is, is, is everything. It was, I mean, getting kicked out of people's offices, just not stopping. So I could really feel like I knew what the next three, six, nine months would look like. And even beyond that. And I think the last one was building, um, building, I'd say with overwhelming data, an investment case. Yeah, We did, I, like I, I had such PTSD from that, <laughs> that, that earlier experience. I said like, I don't want to like slide in by a hair. Yeah, I want to make sure that it is so obvious that this is like a, a slam dunk that we are, you know, in good standing. Now, obviously you can will that only to a certain extent. You actually have to be able to deliver on it. But that was, I guess, the way that we set the goalposts for the team. And made sure that we could go to market with, you know, a strong confidence that this would be the right metrics people would be looking for, that we had over-delivered on them. And the places where, you know, we we weren't at that level yet, we had a really good story as to why that was, why that was okay, and why it was still an incredible investment nonetheless. And then, um, yeah, and then it was just, you know, um, deploying that. And I guess, you know, it worked for us um, quite well. And I, I would say that, it's it's a two person dance, right? It's yeah. You have to find the investors who who have that belief. You know, this is not just a numbers game. They have to have the emotional belief. They have to believe in the person too. And so, you have to find people that, and we did. And I'm so fortunate that we did, where they're good people. They're people that you want to be around because they're investing in the people at that point. They're not totally investing in like you know a company with years of data, and it doesn't really <laughs> matter who's sitting you know in different roles. Um, that was so important that we found like-minded people. Um, and I think it's made all the difference to be honest. Just curious, how long did that series A take you to raise? So that one was the, I almost in disbelief, it was the opposite of the last one. The other one, the last one had taken, you know, over a year. Yeah. Uh, this one had probably taken us, um, maybe a month and a half. Yeah. That's uh, <laughs> a little from, different. From start to finish. <laughs> And, and I actually, I didn't actually believe it was true. Like, I remember like my co-founder would add, would, would say like, Hey, Ethan, it's like, it's working. I'm like, I don't know. Like something's going to happen. Like, I, I just, I don't, <laughs> I don't believe it until like literally the money is in the bank account. We've signed all the papers. Then I will let go. Yeah. And, um, you know, it works. It's funny. You mentioned that. I feel the same way with any other like business things I've done where like you have a, something in the works, but until it's closed, until it's literally like the money's in your account, like it's not real. It, it's just not real. It's just, it's just something that's, oh, okay, well, this is moving forward, but eh, it's not real. I think you learn that as you move forward and like kind of continue on in business. Did raise that round and take me through then from there and then COVID hitting, how has that affected yeah. you guys? 
look, this was, um, I mean, it was the most um, incredible moment for our company. We didn't even know, I mean, about COVID, right? Like no one was thinking about this yet, but yeah. we were also so lucky because I'd say about 72 hours after the wires hit the bank, our, uh, all the markets were shutting down because like the whole world was going into work from home, shelter in place. And I mean, I couldn't think of a, a more, you know, just just by a hair timing on this one. I often felt like I, I was like that Indiana Jones scene where he like, you know, <laughs> slides under the door that's like smashing down and grabs his hat. Yeah. Um, you know, a week more time and who knows what could have happened. Um, and so the part of it was we really wanted to be, um, especially on the capital strategy, aggressive in the best possible way. Like not aggressive in, in a angry way, aggressive in, I am impatient to get this done. Like I have, we are in a rush to build the greatest business banking experience for small businesses. Like speed is of the essence. And that served us well because there were a lot of advisors who said, no, you guys should wait another six months. You know, you'll have more data, et cetera. And I just said like, uh, uh-uh. like I want to make, I want to move quickly. I want to have, um, you know, a strong hand to play so that we can dive, lean into product. We can lean into our customers um, and we can do more and, and earlier. And it, you know, it was a, a good philosophy just because the way that the world turned, um, it allowed us to be prepared for COVID in a unique moment where we had, you know, a lot of capital walking into one of the most uncertain times I think I've ever been through. Yeah. And, you know, I remember walking into COVID with our new investors, right? And, and you know, kudos to them. You know, they, they didn't even flinch. They said, you know, we believe in this business. We believe in this team. It doesn't matter what the world throws at us. Like, we, we believe. And I was so, so grateful to have that level of conviction, but I will never forget like our first board meeting in COVID. I said like, Hey, I I don't know if there's even like a thousand businesses this quarter that would want to sign up for a new bank account. Like, you know, everybody (laughs) was was worried that this was like the, the end of millions. It was the end of millions and millions of businesses. Yeah. Unfortunately. The other thing that happened at the same time, and this is the broader story for COVID for us was that someone switched the like gas in our car for jet fuel where there were just about tens of thousands of businesses across America who were starting to realize, Hey, I can't get my banking done anymore. Like I, I will not go into a branch or the branch is closed. I can't even call because their call centers are closed. I need something that is available from my basement, which is where my business now is. And that will reduce the overhead to get things done. Whereas lots of the incumbent banks that people were using we're increasing overhead, longer wait times, more faxes to send, you know, uh, things were crashing more often. And so we just saw this massive shift of, you know, 20, 30 year old businesses sometimes across America saying like, I need what you're offering. And I think part of our thesis always was to say, this is not a low cost play. We're not trying to give you a bargain, you know, basement, like the p- cheapest possible experience there is. We actually have a, a paid product, right? customers pay us $10 a month um, as a subscription fee for um, our services. Now it's an unlimited version, right? It's like a Netflix for banking. Yeah. But if you do pay money, you expect something in return. Like it's not just a thing you'll do happily. And so the, the exchange we promised them is that this is actually um, a value play. This is about, you will see value in this. That's why we allow for, we've invested heavily so that you can send wires from our app um, and our, and our, um, web experience. You can, there are cash deposit locations across the country. 
You're able to pay bills directly. You can have checks um, remotely printed and mailed on your behalf. All of these things where if you were truly trying to do the most, you know, skeletal version of banking, you probably wouldn't include those. You probably say, well, I mean, who needs wires nowadays? Well, the truth is that a lot of businesses do. And even if they don't use them regularly, they want to have the security that someone, if someone asks me to wire them something, I should be able to do with my bank account. It's a gating factor. And we wanted to make sure that they felt they saw the same guard post that they saw in their classic banking experiences. But now all of a sudden, it was made in a, you know, an elegant and authentic, a friendly way, um, but really an inspiring way that could be done from wherever they were working, and it would work flawlessly for them. And that, I think, was what allowed a lot of these larger businesses to come to us and say, I think I found my new home. Um, and we talk to them regularly. And we, you know, we always ask, like, what do we, you know, are we your primary bank account? Um, you know, what do we need to do to make sure we stay that way? And that relationship with these new businesses has been brought out of a very dark situation. <laughs> but um, I mean, I've made personal friends. Like I've talked to our clients dozens of times and we're talking about their kids and their families just because I need to find out about their lives. Cause I know that for every one of them, there's 10,000 others out there that I don't know yet that we'll, that we're going to find soon enough. With that too, at this point, you're, I mean, you have like 170,000 businesses across North America working with you guys. How did you decide, I mean, obviously that there's, there's a very compelling reason that they're with you on the business model side of point, uh, side of things, you mentioned the $10 a month thing. How did you come up with that and understand what that was going to be, what that was going to look like? Yeah. I mean, this was, um, it was something almost philosophical where I remember from my earliest days, you know, my family saying, look, I would never ask my lawyer to do free work on the regular because it is such an important service for our business. Yeah. Our bank account is one of the most important partners and service providers we have. Of course, we're going to pay for the right accounts. Like it's a no brainer. Yeah. And when it came to these like customers, we wanted to revalidate that question. So we interview all these hundreds of customers and, and ask them about pricing. And they said, look, if you can get this right. I will pay you 10 times what I'm paying today. I don't even <laughs> care about the amount of money. Just make the pain go away. Yeah. And it's funny because that actually forced us into a really odd situation. Early on, everybody was telling me, make this free, make this free, like give away the product. You'll figure out ways to make money later. And I, apart from it having like a weird business logic for us, um, it actually just really couldn't reconcile with what I was hearing from all of these business owners saying like, I will pay you money if you can do this the right way. <laughs> and so I said, you know what? Like I, I will happily be uh, contrarian here. I will disagree. Um, and we went and made it a priced model. And, you know, to that effect, it's actually not, it's actually been perfectly fine. Um, you know, businesses that have, um, that have a, a real business to, to, to bank with, will happily pay that money because they know, by the way, that the average business in America is paying $500 to $750 a year in fees. Yeah. And here we are saying, get everything you need for 10 bucks a month. Um, but the other thing that they're really happy about is that they know what they're paying for. They're not worried about, you know, are you going to advertise? Like, am I the product? Is it like a Facebook situation where the thing is free, but you figure out something else? Like, no, it's, it's straight up. This is the money that we that we make from you, um, and you know what you're getting in return. And I think they, they've liked that exchange. Um, and, and I think the the broader piece for them is this idea where you don't actually have to think about it. You know it's going to be $10. It's not like little ones and twos of 75 cents here and a buck 50 there. 
the clarity of it has been so helpful for them to say, yeah, I, I get it. It's going to be 120 bucks for banking this year. Um, and, and that's, that's been a great exchange for us. Yeah. I love the simplicity of it. And I think to me, I love hearing about the different business models behind companies and how the founders think through that, because there's so much that so many ways you can go with it. And that really dictates where your business is going to go. And the relationship you have with the customers matters as well. And, and obviously many of the Silicon Valley people would think about, uh, you'll figure out revenue later, just growth and just get users. But if all of your customers are telling you, Hey, yeah, we're going to like, we would definitely pay you for this. Uh, and they do, then it's like, well, okay, might as well use that, use that method and uh, be a little contrarian in that way as well with that as well though. Yeah. And go ahead. I was just going to say it allowed us to also do something other, some, a few other really special things. You know, when COVID hit, um, we saw what was happening to our customers. Like we were speaking to them yeah. and actually waived our fees for three months for all of our customers in badly hit states or industries. And that was something that we didn't even business cases. This is, wasn't like, is there a good return on that? This was like the right thing to do morally. Yeah. And I was so fortunate that we were able to just take this worry off their plate and let's say, look, you, you don't worry about this. We got you. You just make sure your business is okay and your family's okay. You'll, we'll, we'll figure this out later. And to be, what's, what's so nice about that is that the people who got free banking, um, they're still with us now that they're paying again. They, they almost a hundred percent of those folks came back and said, like, I am happy to be a customer here because you, you really did the right thing. And to be clear, like many of the other banks out there, they weren't doing anything about their fees. Um, somewhere, but the vast majority said like, yeah, you're still, you're still paying like you always have, even though essentially all businesses had shut down. Right. Which, which is kind of insane. I think about that. I mean, like, yeah, what a wild time it's been, a year, what a year it's been 2020. And one of the last yeah. things I'm wondering about, cause I had read this, I think in, uh, on your website somewhere around your favorite book being chasing daylight. Tell me about the book. Why is it your favorite book? Yeah. So this was a book that, um, one of my teachers gave to me like years ago. And I think I've read it maybe a dozen times at this point. This is the, it's a sad story. It's the story of the CEO of KPMG, one of the largest accounting firms in the world. And he finds out that he has um, terminal brain cancer and has like only a few months to live. And it is the journal or the diary of those remaining months he had. And what was so fascinating to me about this and so inspiring was that he kind of used the same skill set that made him a good CEO to make the best of those months left. He brought a very structured and kind of principled approach to how he would spend his time and how he did that. Now, you you might differ with how he prioritized things, but I thought that was so inspiring. And more than anything, it just made me always remember, like, time is so fleeting, right? Like, it's, yeah. you know, family, friends, relationships, this is all about people at the end of the day. And um, it could all go away so quickly. So it just gives me this, um, I guess this jolt of electricity to to never forget all these other things in life because I really do get immersed in my work, um, and th that work has to be meaningful. But it also it can't be uh, at the cost of of all these other really important things that I as as a human being need in my life and and will always need. Aiton, where can people go to learn more about your company and catch with you as well? www.northone.com is the best place to find out about North One. Um, and look, I mean, I'm, I'm on LinkedIn, uh, you can reach out to our, to folks at our company and we always can connect me to, to people who are interested in talking. Um, 
it's it's always a pleasure to meet people who are curious about what we're doing. I mean, there's no greater, I guess, compliment than someone who's saying like, tell me more, right? Yeah. I mean, of course we will. Uh, we work so hard for this. That is our pleasure to tell people more. And uh, in some cases to, 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 you know, make them customers and to show them what we've been working so hard on. Thank you so much for taking the time to come on the show today. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Just Go Grind. If you want to follow along on the socials for all things Just Go Grind and with me as well, you can find Just Go Grind on Instagram and Twitter at Just Go Grind. You can find me on Twitter at JustinGordon212. Find me on Instagram, JustinGordon8. Thank you so much for listening. Have a great day.